Hi, I'm Anna Reed with APA, and thank you all for joining us tonight, uh, Tuesdays at APA, on a Thursday, and not at APA. Um, next month, we'll be back to a Tuesday um, and at APA, so we encourage you to, to look for information on that. So we appreciate Gensler hosting us tonight here in their office um, so that you can also see the parklet that they will be uh, talking to you about their presentation on microplace making with macro results. And with that, I will turn it over to our speakers. Hi, everyone. Um, the, just to um, echo, thanks for coming over here to our location and joining us for this presentation this evening. Uh, my name is Carolyn Spons. I'm the director of the community studio. Um, we're responsible for planning and urban design and aviation and transportation projects. Um, I'm here with Laura Carey and Claire Kang, who are the designers of the parklet, and they will be giving um, the bulk of the presentation on sort of some of the design principles and process that they went through in realizing the parklet. Um, but I'll talk a little bit about um, how it happened in the pre-planning phase. So we've really separated the presentation tonight into three parts. The first is kind of like, what are the conditions that the parklet um, became conceived in? Um, the second part, uh, Laura and Claire will talk about uh, design and perform the design process and the performance metrics of the parklet. Um, and then we're going to do a little Q&A. And if time is permitting, we have an additional sort of mini presentation on temporary urbanism trends. Um, and we thought that it would be good to share that because it sort of gives some context to um, the parklet, parklets in general, and how temporary uses in the city contribute to city making. <clears throat> Um, so who knows what a parklet is or thinks they have a good definition of parklet? Um, and who has used a parklet before coming here today? Okay, good. Um, so when Claire and Laura put together the outline for this presentation, um, they said, okay, you have to talk about the history of parklets. And I was a little bit daunted because I'm like, I don't know if anybody's written the history of parklets yet. I mean, what can you really say? Um, so I looked up uh, Parklet in our friend Wikipedia, and they said that the uh, term had been coined in 2010, which I thought was pretty interesting because it's less than five years old. Um, but then I looked in the Oxford English Dictionary, and it had actually the term Parklet had actually been in existence since the late 60s and early 70s. Um, but at that time, the meaning of Parklet really was intended um, to sort of convey the idea of a pocket park or like a small mini park. And I think there was actually a quote of Lady Bird Johnson referring to improvements to some um, parklet here in Washington, D.C., so sort of like a, a new mini green space. Um, but then fast forward 40 years, and if you look at the definition of parklet that's taken from the San Francisco Parklet Manual, it's like very different. Um, so up in the upper left-hand corner, the way they define it is parklet repurposed part of the street next to the sidewalk into public space for people. So the context and the meaning of it is very different. So it's very specific, repurposing part of the street next to the sidewalk. So it's not just a tiny little park. Here it's like right off the curb. Um, and it says that it's a public space. So um, public space could be defined as space for everybody. In some places, I think it's sort of a loose, loosely interpreted as a space for commerce. Um, and it says that it's for people. So I think this gives a, a more kind of conventional and current definition of what we all think of when we think of parklets. Um, so I think people also think that parklets are like fun, spontaneous places that just sort of happen. Um, 
so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of where designing our bright yellow parklet had kind of came, come from. Um, so David, you could correct me if I'm wrong with this sort of timeline here. But I think that DDOT spoke to you guys, the Golden Triangle bid, about doing a demonstration project for parklets. And you spoke with us. And then we thought, as a design firm, let's have a design competition, because that's what we like to do, an internal design competition um, to kind of get the user's best ideas. Because if it was located right out in front of our office, um, a lot of our employees would be the user's best design ideas about what should be out there. And so we put together a competition brief um, and outlined a few uh, goals and objectives for the design. So uh, first of all, we knew that it needed to be flexible. So we asked um, people who submitted their ideas um, uh, to address how the parklet could be reconfigured for a variety of programs and events. Um, and then we also wanted the parklet to have a narrative or a story. So it wasn't just a cool place to hang out, but it had some sort of meaning or purpose um, and relevance to the community. Uh, in terms of sustainability, we thought it would be great if it had some sort of um, sustainability goals or at the minimum was aligned with the city's sustainability goals. Um, and then we started to think about the parklet as a destination. Um, could it be linked with other public spaces that were in the bid area? Could it be linked with other parklets? Um, and social impact was really important to us. Um, so through talking with Golden Triangle Bid, um, we understood the various user groups in this area. So it wasn't just us, the, the business people, um, but it's all the students from the uh, universities. It's um, tourists. There's a variety of people who kind of um, use this neighborhood and move through this neighborhood. And how could the parklet address all those different groups? And then the final was the budget. So could the parklet be constructed for under $15,000? Um, so on top of all of these goals and objectives which we crafted, um, we also asked competitors to um, comply or reference the um, new parklet standards that had just been released at the time, um, knowing that we would probably be the first parklet that would be asked to comply with those guidelines. So what resulted was uh, four submissions from uh, teams with up to 12 people. Uh, and as you can see, we kind of had a wide variety of um, interpretations of how the goals and objectives played out. Um, and as somebody who put together a design competition before, you always sort of assume that people will come up with the idea that you have in your mind. And then you're really amazed by the range of different interpretations of the same set of um, sort of constraints. Uh, so uh, I'll just talk briefly about each of the submissions, just because it's interesting to see how people interpreted the idea of parklets. Um, and remember, you saw the space outside, so everybody knew what the space would be like. Um, so the first entry um, proposed using a sidewalk scaffolding in order to have a two-level parklet space in which people could walk up and sort of use it as a vantage point uh, for looking down the sidewalk and the rest of the neighborhood. Another team uh, wanted to do um, sort of uh, wood and steel framework, which was really interesting. And I think like an emerging or a recurring theme across all of them was protection, right? So you're sitting out in a parking lane. How do you protect the people? And the solutions that people came up with were very different. Um, the third option or the third entry um, really looked at different uh, sustainable and reclaimed materials and how to use those. 
and this team actually proposed a higher screen with some natural grasses um, uh, so that uh, the sound of the traffic would be mitigated. And then um, the final entry is the one that um, Laura and Claire proposed, which they'll talk about um, in more detail. And I'll hand it to Laura, who will talk a little bit about the timeline. So it's hard to believe that the first conversation Claire and I had was 10 months ago in December when the competition was announced. Um, getting the parklet here today was a five-phase process that included uh, design, a two-month permit process included involving DDOT, materials procurement, installation, and finally the opening. The design phase of the project consisted of a series of design reviews between the Golden Triangle bid and Gensler's internal design reviewers that lasted off and on from March into April. Once the design was agreed upon, the construction drawing set was reviewed by Keystone Hood engineers um, and issued to DDOT in mid-April. The permit process took two months after that and um, a series of meetings and conversations and the permit process concluded in June with the permit being issued in June. Materials procurement and contracting continued for another month once everything was in order and was finally installed throughout the second week in July, roughly two and a half months after it was initially planned to be opened. Um, so Parkit opened on July 14th of this year and will be open for another month, so its lifespan will roughly be four months in its current location. So uh, when Laura and I entered a competition, um, it was a delightful design challenge and um, unique opportunity for us in a sense that we are building something on a site that we are very familiar with. But at the same time, once the project is built, whether that project is successful or not, we have to live with it and then face it with our coworkers every day. So with that, um, in our uh, initial design thinking, it was very important for us to connect three different dots, big dots. One is the neighborhood. The second one is the, the users. And then the third one is the actual client. So this neighborhood, as you can see, um, the section of the K Street uh, portion is pretty uptight. And the streetscape is filled with prominent law firm offices, uh, monumental government agencies, various headquarters of different organizations, whether they're national or international. And also, we have lots and lots of doctor's offices in this section. So although this area is pretty polished area, um, I would say it's a little barren and kind of lacking a little bit of a real sense of community here. And Laura and I both live pretty close to our office, so, you know, as a, um, office workers and also as a resident, um, we're very familiar with this area. And also, based on our experience day and night, and also weekdays and weekends, we really understood that, um, you know, how, how the vitality of this neighborhood hinge, hinges upon, you know, the hours of business, basically. So. Um, in this neighborhood, most of the population is working professionals. So they don't necessarily live around here. They commute from outside of the city, different parts of the city. And um, that means that the potential um, parklet users are transient and do not necessarily perceive this area as their real community or they don't really have any sense of belonging here. So with that, um, so we thought about who will use the parklet once we build this project here. First of all, I think this building itself, 2020 K Street, um, it's 
almost like a miniature version of this neighborhood. So within this building alone, we have lawyers, architects, urban planners, engineers, uh, real estate brokers, and also George Washington University students as well. And outside of this building, we have lots of pedestrians walking by. And also nearby, we have a bus stop. So there are always people waiting for their buses every day. And also, um, on the side of the, uh, our building, there's a K Street bagel shop. It's a very small and modest bagel shop just for like takeout you know, customers. And as you can see from the prime rib, its customers are pretty much, they tend to stay indoor from their car to the restaurant. And also, they don't, so they don't really, uh, they don't ever really go outside unless they need to smoke a cigar outside. So that's the, that's the population that we are encountering here. So, um, you know, how do we make these people really stop by and use the parklet? That was a big question that Laura and I had. And for this, um, with that, we need something dramatically different here, something that's so simple, something that's so easy to grasp, and then something that doesn't really take uh, much to interact with. So that was what uh, our initial design idea was. And with that, essentially, we needed a public space that's going to understand this transient population in this area and really understand the life cycle and the daily routine of these people. So our third dot, that was the client, the Golden Triangle Business Improvement District. So aside from the yellow color, aside from the triangle theme, um, we found inspirations from uh, our client as well. So as you can see here, our client has been hosting a lot of outdoor activities like Berger Friday and also like outdoor yoga studios. And some of you might have seen these uh, artistic bike racks all around this area. I, I think that was commissioned by the Golden Triangle bid. And I think this is a very bold statement about how uh, the client wants to make this community into a bike-friendly environment. And so likewise, we think the parklet itself is another bold statement by the client. So we began the design process with questioning, what is a parklet? San Francisco has permanent parklets that are often tied to the businesses that support them. And then there's the extremely ephemeral pop-up parklets that just that last just one day. Um, our parklet, as per our client's decision, was to last from March through the end of October, or whenever the threat of frost came. This seasonal parklet was a hybrid of temporary and permanent in that it had to withstand the elements for at least four months, but it did not have a life necessarily after that. With sustainability as one of the Golden Triangle Bid's missions, we envisioned something that was permanent enough to last several seasons in this location, but was flexible and portable enough to pop up at any time for any period of time. Ultimately, we decided on a modular design that was flexible, iconic, and interactive. We created a grid of three by three isosceles triangles that served as a base for similarly dimensioned modular pieces that were extruded into different heights that accommodated typical streetscape activities. Initially, to support the goal of making an interactive public space, we envisioned that the parklet pieces would be reconfigured by the parklet team on a bi-monthly basis. The actual um, configuration of these pieces would be determined by the input from users, um, potentially from an app or a website, 
where people could vote on the next configuration. This user input would create fixed arrangements that promoted different types of activities for different groups beyond what we could even imagine. In these ways, the movable bright yellow triangle served to make the streetscape playful, energetic, and dynamic. Furthermore, it allowed people to take ownership in the design of their own public space. So after our proposal was selected through the competition process, um, we added another dimension to this project. So we kind of wanted to have a gesture uh, that deconstructs the rigid boundaries around the parking spots and the sidewalk while trying to visualize the client's ongoing effort to reach out to the community. Basically, the client really wanted to have all those like working professionals in this area come out and really engage with the community through all these outdoor activities over the year. So we wanted to capture that here. So initially, we thought of maybe placing this um, outdoor uh, floor decals as, as if the, all the triangles from the parklet just dispersed throughout the sidewalk as if it's extending through the sidewalk. And then we thought about, why not defy the gravity? So we um, started like in, um, utilizing uh, the front facade of the Gensler office as our canvas. So now the triangles would go up as like a window decals. And by doing so, we're trying to link what we do as a design firm here inside to the spatial tool that created outside of the office for the public. So that was our um, another um, round of design refinement. So meet the parkit. So as the name implies, um, we are proposing a spatial toolkit for the DC seasonal parklets. So we're envisioning this as almost like a universal um, kit of parts that can encourage um, a sort of two-way dialogue between the city and the residents, almost like a collaborative and participatory design tool for the new type of public space. So we went from initial concept, um, but then we actually had to build this. Um, so beginning in April, Claire and I met with DDOT um, at their office for a PDRM review um, with a number of members to review the permit set. It was a, it was a set of really interesting conversations where we talked about what were the actual guidelines that they had submitted. And um, there was definitely some ambiguity about whether all of their rules had to be followed. Um, and if we had some additional things that we were proposing that weren't even listed. So um, one of the, so we had a couple of things that were, um, ended up being restrictions to our initial design proposal. But then there were also a couple of opportunities that were opened up. Um, so, um, so we, um, as a result of our conversations, we had to refine our design, um, and they, one of the major things was that there, it was necessary to have a continuous buffer along the street side of the parklet. So we ended up having to increase the number of um, fixed pieces along the back side, um, but we also were able to improve the user experience um, throughout these conversations. So we um, increased the walkable surface um, and increased the seating to accommodate what people had perceived as being the most um, frequently used um, activities for parklets. Um, unfortunately, we had to take out the highest height modules, which we thought would help um, 
serve as a buffer um, between the, the cars, um, but um, DDOT recommended that we keep everything, including the plants, um, under 42 inches, which prevented um, a lot of height variation that we were hoping for um, in the initial design. But um, yeah, so, so we had initially um, thought of all of the pieces as being movable, including the ground plane. Um, but this would have required a much more intensive moving process and decrease the flexibility by the user. Um, so as I said before, we had to increase the number of fixed modules, um, but we um, were able to construct a, a game board-like platform for all of these pieces to move around on instead of actually having the, the ground plane move too. Um, so we ended up with 15% movable modules, um, and we found that um, people were really um, excited about moving the, the even the large triangles around, which we hadn't expected. We thought that people would sort of leave them put because they're so big. But um, we thought that they could be stolen or anything <laughs> else. But they've stayed put. But they've moved a little into the sidewalks sometimes. But um, they're about about 25 to 50 pounds each. Yeah. They're pretty heavy. <laughs> there's, there's three. If, it, if it's the lowest module, yes, it's possible. Yeah, the whole parklet came to us in the back of a large van. So yeah. Potentially, somebody could pack it up in one night. But yeah, don't get any ideas. Um, so, um, so the modules were constructed from marine-grade plywood, um, and the platform was constructed with plastic adjustable pedestals and wood battens and topped with a three-quarter inch marine grade plywood platform. Um, to um, create visual interest and distract from wear and tear over the four months, we ended up using three different colors of yellow exterior grade paint. Um, and we painted each of the, the, the darker modules were closer to the ground plane to try to master, um, and the lighter ones were the taller modules. Um, the decals used on the window were a perforated vinyl that was completely um, visible. Like you could see through it from the inside of the office, which was great. But the exterior created a really um, significant visual impact. So it was more like a shading device when you're inside of the office. Yeah. So yeah, it was and really then, nice. Yeah. yeah. And then we used chalk spray for the temporary paint, which we will talk about sure. in a bit. Yeah. So. Um, so. Um, while the budget did not allow for an app or website to be created, um, through, our through our conversations with CDOT, we discovered the opportunity that the modules were not required to be fixed. So the parklet was able to be continuously manipulated by the users to fit their needs. Um, and so on day one, Claire and I set the modules out to promote in an arrangement that promoted um, seating and dining among several people. Um, but by day 30, when we took a picture, we realized that people had moved the pieces onto the sidewalk, they had flipped them over, and they had moved them to more um, individual uh, um, locations. So you didn't have to be in a group necessarily to sit in the parklet. And although this part of the project didn't really become the reality, um, we thought it might be worth to just mention. So one of the part of the design refinement, we thought about different material options. So 
We were particularly drawn to different textures and also the environmentally friendly quality in some of the material options like gabion walls, and also eco-resin cast in reclaimed wood, stuff like that. And also, because of the duration of the project under different weather conditions, we also thought about the durability of the material. So definitely, we considered a powder-coated aluminum. And we even reached out to a lot of contractors and vendors and metal shops around this area and found out that um, the shortest module, which is like the 18-inch high bench height module, that would cost us only for the fabrication $900, excluding shipping fees. So that was a lot of money and we just didn't have that kind of budget and we couldn't really like rational you know like we couldn't justify that cost of the material so after talking to a lot of vendors and contractors we soon realized that our ambition was a bit too high and a little bit unrealistic so we learned that our best bet is the marine grade plywood which is durable under a lot of humid uh, humid weather and also heat as well so these were the material palette that we were talking, or we thought about at one point of this project. And here, this is the cost breakdown of this project. Um, it's not the entire, like, comprehensive list of the items that we purchased and um, paid for, but these are some of the big ticket items that we had to work with uh, during the project process. And as you can see here, we collaborated with Parse Designs. They're like a two-person. Um, with working shop in Virginia, they're great. And also um, here, since it's it's part of the pilot year for DDOT's uh, seasonal parklet, the permit fee and also the entire duration of parking meter fee uh, were waived completely. So here we're showing some of the installation photos here. So these guys, um, our collaborator and contractor, Pars Designs, they came from Virginia, and one day. So um, before they come to the site, they basically prefabricated all the modules uh, at their shop off-site. And then one day, they all shipped everything here in their van and then started just like working on the platform and assemb like assembling um, all the fixed modules and planters here. It took about two days, including the, uh, the touch of bird of paint as well. So we're just showing this um, as part of the construction sequence for with our renderings. And lastly, um, the Sunday just before the opening in July, we had a lot of volunteers from Gensler come out and plant Beatrice and Fern into the planter. And we also had a lot of fun spray painting and scrubbing the sidewalk. As you can see here, this is um, Aiden, Carolyn's son, and he had a lot of fun that Sunday. So the parklet opened at 11.30 on Tuesday, July 14th, with a crowd of around 40 people and a lot of media presence. To our surprise, we had, I think it was videotaped as well as came out in a lot of news articles. Um, but um, Golden Triangle Bid Executive Director Leona Agaritis, Tanya Stern from the DC Office of Planning, DDOT, DDOT Director Lee Stormstow, and Gensler Managing Director Jeff Barber, as well as DC Council Member Tommy Wells all spoke. And the ribbon was cut, and we've been it's been open ever since without a hiccup. Yeah. Um, but another thing to this uh, opening ceremony, actually, um, some of you might wonder you know, what happened to the chalk spray, temporary chalk spray that you guys applied during the installation. So um, unfortunately, the, day, the next day after we um, 
sprayed all the chalk spray on the sidewalk. It was raining. So it was really unfortunate. And because of that, it was already modeled. Um, and then client decided to, you know, for this type of opening ceremony, maybe we need to have it all cleaned out, power washed. So ever since we just like had to power wash the, the triangle patterns. But then personally, it was by far my favorite moment of the project because when it was raining, just raining in the morning, I could see all the traces of people like walking into the city, like everywhere. Basically, our parklet was just like extending to every corner of the city. So that was really like my <laughs> favorite part. <laughs> So um, with the window decals, um, this is what the parklet used to look like. Right now, since we had a client appreciation party last week, we had to remove um, the yellow window decals from our window wall and use that as another type of branding opportunity. So you see like a 50th anniversary Ford Gensler celebrating with the red uh, letters there. So after the opening, um, the story of DCS first seasonal parklet actually was picked up by a lot of media sources. Um, Washington Post was actually the very first one to uh, pick up the story. And then they even reported this even before the completion of the installation, I think. Yeah, so a little sadly, uh, our very first picture of parklet is actually on a rainy day, um, even without any plant within the planters, it's like it's completely empty looking. So that was our first impression. but. After that, we had really great reviews and articles coming from media sources like NPR, Architect Magazine, and also some of the major DC-related blogs like Greater Greater Washington, Deceased, and Curve DC. They all had a really positive and opti uh, optimistic stories about our parklet. Um, but at the same time, we thought they also shared some of the various um, perspectives that we did not expect, um, some of the skepticisms and cheers. So I think it was a really great opportunity for us to really read those articles and see people's feedback on that online as well. So I guess since this is the very first project for everybody in DC, um, Ida paid uh, really close attention to this parklet, and they sta stationed um, an observer for three separate days, I think, yeah, in July and August, and then um, they were trying to really assess um, the real impact of the parklet and how it's actually used here. So from their um, report, we got these data. Um, for the parklet, um, based on DDoT's report, the, um, it has about 37 people uh, visiting per day from 8.30 to 4.30. And also, it was kind of interesting to see that DDoT originally set a goal of having 20 visitors per day. So they had a goal, and I think our parklet already exceeded that goal. And um, the lunch hour definitely between like 12.30 and 1.30 was the peak uh, hour for our parklet. And people tend to stay during the lunch hour a lot longer. Also, more visitors came in the afternoon than the morning, which was kind of expected. And on average, people stayed about 12.7 um, minutes. But more than half of the visits actually lasted less than 10 minutes. And another interesting fact that I found from the report is that every, um, at every 13 minutes, we would have a new visitor. So that means uh, we typically, every hour, have five different visits, basically. So people used the parklet in ways that we expected and also did not expect at all. Um, 
for the most part, um, people were talking on the phone, talking to other people, um, eating, putting bags down temporarily, like putting your purse down, taking your shoes off after work. Um, those were all common activities. Um, we at one point saw strollers in there. We've seen a couple dogs in the parklet. Um, and the DDOT um, representative reported having seen people doing push-ups in the parklet. Um, so <laughs> we had never expected that at all. But um, it was really fun to see um, people using it for meeting spaces, standing, sitting, um, and both using it in groups and individually. Um, and um, yeah, we really loved when people moved it around, and it really we didn't we thought that we would have to move it around, um, but people took it upon themselves to scoot a chair over if they needed to talk to people or um, prop it up if they needed to relax for a longer time. Yeah, I think all in all, like the users and people around this community, they're a lot more creative than us, <laughs> and they're very ballsy as well. <laughs> um, so. Interestingly, though, um, compared with parklets in Philadelphia, our parklet was less social than other parklets. Um, the DDOT um, reporter found that um, about half of the people were using the parklet alone um, instead of social for social interaction. Um, and this was atypical for parklets in Philadelphia. Most people are coming in groups um, and using it. Um, but again, most of the parklets are tied to businesses that have food or drinks associated with them. Um, and so ours is in a high traffic business district. So people were talking on the phone quite a bit. Yeah, so either that or DC people are just say social. So <laughs> that's Nobody wanted to talk about this weird diagram, so I can. Um, <laughs> you're probably familiar with that um, Jan Gell uh, people on foot chart that charts like the types of activities done in public spaces and provides kind of like a matrix for categorizing them. So um, based on some of the feedback from the observations um, that we had had, um, we just took a quick pass at seeing um, the types of activities that people did. So the top band is standing, the bottom band is sitting activities. And then it sort of ranges from sort of the transcendental enjoying life over to the sort of necessary greeting and waiting activities. And just generally what we found is that a lot of the activities were clustered in two groups. So um, people stand and sat. They just kind of made themselves comfortable. But um, they went there to do purposeful but voluntary activities, like drinking coffee, drawing, reading. Um, but then they also used the space for necessary transitional activities. Um, so people 
uh, like Laura mentioned, may stop there and change their shoes on their way out of work. Um, so it was a space for both kind of optional and necessary things. I think that's the last slide for the Parklet presentation. And maybe, yeah, does anybody have any questions? Okay. Um, so I know you guys did studies of who was using and what they were doing. Um, are you looking at any like economic uh, visits to like the businesses around and seeing if their um, volume has increased while the park was there? So, um, all the metrics that we uh, included within the presentation um, came from the DDOTS report and I think it's based on the three-day observation and I don't think um, it's at that stage to really analyze any economical you know values from that but actually that's a really uh, good point because whenever we encounter any kind of criticism about the parklet for taking you know valuable parking spaces in the city um, I feel like it's very challenging to um, counter argue that because we don't really have any data you know like there's no nothing quantified um, to prove that you know how much quality of life is improved by having the parklets in the community and how it can also generate more revenue by having like different places within the community. So we don't have that like quantified data, so it's difficult to challenge that. But eventually when we have more parklets in the city, like over 10 years, I'm sure we would be able to grab that kind of information. I, I think we maybe ap approached it from a more qualitative um, kind of perspective as well since we're the users so we would hear things firsthand. I don't know if we really necessarily went to the kind of extent of quantifying the economic benefits. I see a park that it's, it's, I don't, oh, um, um, it's more of a concept of making a streetscape a space, not just for movement, mm -hmm. a destination almost. Exactly, yeah. So um, I should talk about this project to um, a landscape architect that I know, and he was very much opposed to the idea of calling the park as a mini park, because um, it's more like a localized urban plaza all around the city. And I agree with that idea. And rather than having like a really like that final destination, it's like a network of urbanized you know area where pe people can sit down and pause for a while and have a break so yeah I my understanding of this project is more in that line I think yes uh, I saw on one of the slides um, uh, in regard to plant material perennials attractive to wildlife and I guess with a little bit of trepidation, I'm asking, what sort of wildlife uh, are we attracting on uh, K Street <laughs> in Washington? So initially, we had used colorful perennials, um, like the Liatris, which had, we saw dragonflies and bees on the first couple of days, which were really fun. Um, eventually, because of the maintenance issues, we had to replace the plants with um, annuals, just because of they, we wanted constant color and the perennials eventually lost their flowers. Um, but yeah, no beavers or anything were visiting <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, that was an interesting point. Yeah, we didn't actually have any real like nuisance behavior that we had um, been asked would be a problem. Um, like we didn't have people staying overnight or we didn't have rats or any other um, any issues that really hindered the appearance of the parklet or the experience of the users. Smoking was the only activity that people 
did say that they were bothered by at some point, but um, we, since it was a public space, we didn't feel it was necessary, or mm -hmm. we, we didn't have the ability to put a no smoking sign in the, in the space at this point. We did not, and that's some of the suggestions after we built this parklet, and people thought there's a need for a trash bin nearby, definitely. And also, um, also another suggestion was we could potentially integrate bike racks, just like how Golden Triangle is, um, has been designing. So we could like definitely have something like that for potential future parklets. Yes. Not that you uh, conducted the observational study, but when you look at an observational study, it would be good to look at not only the use within the space, but also look at the effect on people that are passing by, both on the sidewalk and uh, changes in, in driver or bicyclist behavior, because I, I would bet that you would see um, some positive effects in, in both, and that would probably be good to include in, in future um, yeah. studies of seasonal parklets. I guess like one example that I can share in that line, um, K Street Bagel is a really small shop, and like like I mentioned, there are a lot of doctor's offices. And when people come into this area, they don't necessarily always drive their car to this part of the town. So they're walking by, but then in the doctor's office, if they don't really have any like waiting area for the patient, they would just come into the K Street Bagel shop, and without buying anything, they just like stay there, you know, using their like limited seats. So after having our parklet. Um, one of our coworkers actually talked to that uh, owner of the shop, and she was very happy to see people actually going outside. And you know, if they need to wait for an appointment, they can just go to the parklet and you know spend time there instead of like coming into her business, you know, not buying any bagels. So that was one positive example that we can share, I guess. A question: um, Since the city seemed to be apparently pleased with the results would they be prepared to waive the parking fee for future, or did you get a sense of that for future parklets? I guess that's something that the city or DDOT can answer. Uh, do you have any comment to add? Nope. <laughs> but for the future parklets, you know, like once we are out of the pilot year, definitely, you know, how are we going to fund the parklet? You know, obviously there's like a, a significant amount of parking meter fee that someone has to pay for, so that could be something that's potentially, you know, we need to discuss and think about. Thank you. To pick up on some of the economic questions, did you happen to ask the K Street, the owner, like, did her sales go up since somebody asked? That's one. Two. How much are the parking fees for the four-month period? So for the first question, um, I did not ask, but I don't think she was like um, really um, recording if there's any increase in her sales or yet. And to, um, for your second question, I think it was part of the, our permit document um, about the parking meter fee that was waived for the entire duration of the permit. I think that was about... Um, $4,400? Oh, no, $6,400, I think, yeah. Sorry, I had a third question. Did you think of, um, for the triangles, for the pieces, you know, to make maybe make them easier to move to, like, just have done, like, a little, like, handle, like, a little, you know, like, to ease, you know, to lift them and move them? I wish we could share our sketches when we were doing the design refinement. We had a lot of trays with like full of sketches with like, you know, modules with the handles and different shapes like carved in, but it all cost money. And to be able to stay within our budget, we really had to have very simple design and simple construction as well. 
Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Ted Van Houten. I'm the uh, Parklet Manager of the District Department of Transportation. So um, just want to say thank you to Gensler for um, getting this done. And I mean, the design was great. Um, and you guys are really awesome partners for doing this, something that's new. Um, and also, David with the Golden Triangle bid, thank you for taking this on. Um, a couple of questions that I did here. Um, first of all, um, we did reach out to K Street Bagel, and we did ask them if they would share sales data, and they politely declined. Um, I think that's something that was originally part of our uh, research study. In this case, the business did not um, did not take us up on that offer, but I think future businesses, we would continue to ask that. Um, also about the parking meter fees, um, there is, so the fiscal year in, in DC is October to September, so it just ended, um, and there was a fund that was set up from Sustainable DC that covered the roughly $6,000 in meter fees. For the fiscal year that we're in now, there is another fund of $120,000 that if a parklet or other sidewalk extensions like the Georgetown bid is doing this weekend, extending the sidewalks for the weekend, they have to pay the meter fees for those, but that fund is set up to cover the meter fees. So I think it's kind of a, 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 a dance between you know, people who are interested in parklets in the city um, to reserve money to waive the meter fees. You know, we, we'll, we'll put something in the budget, but if nobody takes us up on the offer, then it's less likely that something that that will keep going. So I think that's something that as this is new, I was glad to see that the council included that in the budget for another year. Um, and I think as, if long-term goals of this project, and again, this is still pilot, it's still very new, um, if, a, if a location is successful for several years or for an extended period of time, in which we haven't quite decided, but um, you know, if the community's happy with it and the applicant's happy with it and all the other you know, stakeholders are happy with it, we would look into uh, to making that space and making it no longer be a metered space. And that would remove, and that would, you know, you wouldn't have to waive the fees because it wouldn't be one. So yeah, just wanted to clarify a couple of those things. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, did you notice any increase in double parking going on as a result of this? No, and interestingly, so during the DDOT study, they had um, also monitored the parking spaces in the area, and they, I don't think they had ever, they had found during any of the three days that there was not an available parking spot. Um, it, it should be noted that we are using one loading zone spot and a parking zone spot, um, That, but um, we didn't notice any adverse effects in the parking, um, just more, and also going off of the business comments, um, most people that we saw using the parklet hadn't, other than the first couple of days, hadn't heard about the parklet necessarily, but um, especially during the first month, we heard a lot of people in passing saying, oh wow, what's that, like, can we test it out? You know, it, it was more of, um, it was less of a destination and more of a, something that they happened upon yeah. during their day double parking because there's a service lane outside the building. It's a little bit unusual and there's multiple cuts. And it gets so busy that like there's not a lot of double parking because people lay on the horn. Or if there's somebody there, they'll cut around or back up. So there probably is only like four car lengths of potential double park backup space. Any other questions? 
What was your strategy for getting community feedback on potential improvements? I know that you mentioned that some people said that you know they'd be better served with you know, certain suggestions. So did you guys have surveys in place or some sort of website they could go to leave comments? Well, we, we have not really did any kind of survey. And all the feedback that we are hearing is basically from this design community within the firm. So like even during the design refinement process, we would have like design directors come together and give us suggestions and opinions about that. So typically, the feedback we get immediately is from our um, firm. But at the same time, um, for the online articles and also the newspaper article, um, there's a lot of comments online as well. So by reading those, um, we realized that we were, in a sense, kind of naive about, like, you know, this is all about positive, you know, movement. So, but then it's not always the case. And so it was interesting to see those reviews as well. That's a good point, though, because we're talking about, you know, should we have something out here next year? Are we going to do something? So it would be good to survey people while this is still up so we can get an indicator of, like, what to do differently in the future. Any other questions? No? Well, we're close to 6.30, and we had another little part of the presentation on temporary urbanism in general. But since we're getting close to time, we, we don't need to, to run through that. Um, we do have some books up here that we've done on like gen general temporary urbanism principles. If anybody would like one, come on up. Um, and I guess that's it. <laughs>